Amen. Good evening. The benefit of practicing over and over that it's not the morning time. The, I was just looking at the stage and thinking about myself as well. I think most everybody else here either has a kid or a grandkid under three, so it's more of like when, not if, the stage gets rushed, so we'll just we'll deal with it if it happens. Um, if you've been here with us through this Advent season, um, if you're unfamiliar with what these are, they're Advent candles. Um, uh, 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 unless you grew up in a church that, that did this, you may have no clue what these are, but they're just symbolic reminders. And each candle through the Advent season represents something else that, that Christ brought for us. And if you're here Sunday, we took a moment just of, of quiet reflection, and we'll, we'll start that way. I understand that it may not be totally quiet, but, but I'm going to be brief this morning, uh, so I just want to, this evening, <laughs> whichever one it is, I'm going to be brief in total, but I want to take a moment just to pause. Um, I understand, because it is for us too, it's just a hectic season. It, it's what our culture has done to Christmas. It is what it is. But here we are on a freezing cold Saturday afternoon, um, not doing something else so that we can be here to worship, um, so that we can worship, that we can be reminded, that we can be edified and encouraged and sent back out with an understanding of, of truly, as cliche as it sounds, truly what Christmas means. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, the, the candles as we light them, the first is hope, right? Then it's, then it's faith, and then it's joy, and then it's peace, these things that Christ brought. And the white candle, <clears throat> the white candle is to represent Christ, right? It's the largest. It's, it's a place of prominence. It's white for purity and for, uh, for, for the righteousness that Jesus gives us that was secured uh, in his death and, and burial and resurrection, but that in, inevitably necessitated that he be born, that he could do these things. So let's take a moment at the top just to to settle ourselves again, just a couple seconds of quiet to reflect on, on the things that Christ brought for us, and then we'll discuss them briefly uh, from, a, from our passage this morning uh, as we continue in worship. Just, uh, I'll, I'll, just a moment of quiet, and then I'll, I'll kind of pray us into the sermon. God, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our mess, in the mess that we made, in, in just the ways that we tore ourselves apart. You, you didn't leave us that way, but you sent yourself. You, you poured yourself out in the form of your son, and we thank you for it. And this afternoon and, and tomorrow morning, when we gather here together to worship you, may we be reminded, may we find just a moment of peace away from all the busyness of the season to just be here together worshiping you. We pray this morning or this evening as we uh, as we consider briefly some of your uh, some of your word in the Bible that you would speak clearly uh, and and get me out of the way, keep me from error, and may we be edified by your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, go ahead and uh, be turning to Galatians chapter four. If you want to use one of the Bibles that's in the seats, it's on page nine fourteen. Uh, and if you don't, Galatians is, if you can find First and Second Corinthians, those are kind of a big chunk. They're easier to find. It's right after that. Or use a table of contents. No shame. It's just a book that maybe you don't turn to often, and it's a bit short. But we'll be in Galatians 4 this morning. And, and again, as you do that, um, just Merry Christmas, and, and thank you again for being here. I pray that, uh, at least so far, that you've been okay through the weather if you haven't been, let us know. We'll, we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll try and love on you in that way. Um, <clears throat> it has been. I don't bring this up often anymore because it just 
seems braggadocious, but right now, this time last year, I lived in Maui, <laughs> and shoo, <laughs> largely, <laughs> it's the first time I've really thought about it in a long time, because I preached Christmas Eve there last year in flip-flops and a short sleeve shirt, <laughs> and I'm, 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 yeah, it's cold, man, it's real cold, <laughs> but uh, we're okay, I've burnt through like a quart of wood in the last 48 hours, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, from Galatians 4, and we, we consider the, the birth of Christ, and we look at an anticipation for tomorrow, the excitement of the season. I want to remind us uh, that, we, that we do have a problem, right? All of us, mankind, from, from the first one to whoever will be the last one, we have a problem, right? It's a problem of separation, separation from God, from our Creator. We are a creation separated from our Creator. And regardless of who you are, regardless of where and when and how you were born into this world and lived it, you've experienced this problem. Scripture tells us that as Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, we've inherited that, each of us. But the problem is not a separation of geography. It's not just that if we could figure out where to look, we could find God. We've been trying to do that for generations. And other religions, and call you think of the, the ancient Greeks and Mount Olympus, if they could just get to the top, they could find Zeus. In Hawaii, where we, where we were spent some time, the, the mythology there, right, is that uh, Pele, the fire goddess, when she is upset, the volcanoes erupt, right? And if you could, if you, if it was possible to survive getting in there, you could have a meeting with Pele. Throughout history, we have sought to find God in that way, but ultimately, we end up with this void, we end up empty because it is not a geographical separation, it is not a separation of understanding, it is a separation of the spirit. Because as we have inherited this sin, it has separated us from a sinless and perfect God. It is one of the Spirit. It's from our disobedience. We are wrong in the eyes of God, and yet as humans, again, we keep trying to find a way to replace him. We've talked about the ancient civilizations, the great enlightenment from a couple hundred years ago tried to replace God with science and with reason. And in the postmodern, and now some will say we're in the post-postmodern era, the, the ultimate search for the God, even if it's a little g, is in ourselves, right? What we're being pitched to now is just be you. Just find the, the truest form of you, and that is your gospel, and that is your God, and that is the end. But according to Scripture and for believers... We recognize that if I chase that, I'm chasing something that just takes me further into a sin uh, hole and removes me further and further from God. For me to just be who I am is not great. <laughs> Instead, we are to be who we were intended to be. We recognize from Scripture that God put Adam and Eve into the garden not to mess it up, but to spend eternity in perfect communion with one another. And from Scripture, Jesus came once, he's, he's gone to heaven, he's coming back essentially, to take us back to Eden. Right? The ultimate arc and, and story of Scripture is that we are headed back to Eden. When Christ returns, the new heavens and the new earth, we will be removed from sin entirely and placed into, uh, back into that state that, that it was experienced just for two or three chapters of the Bible before our sin entered the world. And then, and only then, will we have found God. But we can't do that of our own volition. And so, Christmas, right? And so God does it for us. In his love and his mercy for his creation, he inserted himself into our mess. Into our mess. He inserted himself and said, I won't leave you in it. But here comes Jesus. 
And Kevin just read from probably the most familiar passage uh, around Christmas time, and it may be just one of the more familiar ones, regardless of if you've grown up in church or not. It's just it's just woven into Christmas movies and and into Christmas songs. It's just it's so almost an undercurrent of Christmas that we miss it sometimes. But again, just a brief recap: the angels tell of his coming. We read of them going to Bethlehem and their flight from Egypt and, and the perils, and, and then we we get into the life of Christ and ultimately his his work on the cross, but all of Scripture <clears throat> points to Christ. And for this purpose this evening, I, I, I'm going to preach from Galatians 4. Maybe not something you would have considered for uh, a Christmas. Bear with me. If you would, uh, and you can, stand with me, and we will read from Galatians chapter 4 together, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. I, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we consider it this evening, it would be honoring and glorifying to you, and that you would speak clearly through the Holy Spirit, that we would, we would hear from you and not from me, and that we would take it and it would, it, would, it would reignite or perhaps ignite for the first time uh, a, a passion and a peace and a hope and joy and faith and all the things that Christ brought for us. May we find it here in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The, the hope of Christ is woven through the whole Bible. If you've been here much this year, uh, you've heard Robert and I just hound that. All of Scripture is turned into Christ's birth, his life, and his death, burial, and resurrection. But the, the birth part, I, I, someone told me once and, and pointed out to me, and I, I just was almost embarrassed I'd never thought of it. We, we, um, Christmas, the birth of Christ, is certainly important, right? And we give it like a month. And then every year, right, the, the joke's about, well, now it's, it's creeping into November and then it, into October. And, and we, we just spend a whole season around it when arguably Calvary and Easter is, is the securing of that gift and we give it one day or one afternoon. But that's okay. It's just that the, the birth of Christ, while hugely important, is perhaps not the most central piece. It, instead, it's that the birth of Christ points to the life of Christ, which points to the work of Christ which points to the death of Christ, which points to our hope, right? And that his death was, was not the final say. It was that he was resurrected, that he was ascended, and that the, the, the baby born into a manger, the, the baby born into a manger now sits at the right hand of the Father on our behalf, right? He said, I'm going to go on ahead of you and prepare a place. My Father has a house with many rooms. I, I got one with your name on it, should you receive me by faith. The, the, this baby in a manger is, is sweet, and it's sentimental, and it makes great decorations, and I'm not, we have them in our home, right? But, it, but the nativity scene is just act one, right? Especially for, listen, if this is, if you're just here because it's Christmas, thank you for being here. Uh, if you need a church home, come talk to us. We'd love for you to, to, I've only been here a little less than a year, so I can still kind of speak as a new guy. This is an incredible place to be. Um, <clears throat> come be here and hear the rest of the story. 
I'm trying to stay out with Robert and I as we're talking about what are we going to, he's preaching tomorrow, I'm tonight, we've already done Advent. So we said, well, I'll do this half and you do that half. I'm trying to stay out of his half. But, but it, is, it is beyond, right? If you hear the same sermon twice, it's Christmas, right? <laughs> if all we hear is the birth of Jesus, we haven't gotten the full picture. But I think Galatians 4 perhaps helps us fill that out. Paul compares what happened as a child who has an inheritance, right? And maybe you know of one that's coming or if you've received one, but an inheritance, obviously, is, is, is some asset, some promise of a thing to come that is not yet yours. Something has to happen first. So in theory, that inheritance, until that thing happens, means nothing, right? It's an abstract idea. The, the money, the house, the whatever might be real, but until the thing happens... That, that triggers it moving to you, it, it's just a thought. It's just an idea. It, it's something that maybe you hope for, you look with or look to with anticipation. Perhaps it, it, it's your great hope. Maybe it's a source of peace knowing, okay, this will, this will come. And, and Paul seems to understand that urge in us, that, 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 uh, the, the tie we have to that concept. And he says that the gift that is Jesus born into the world is to us like a child who has an inheritance. It's been managed by someone else until the date set by his father. In verse 3, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We, we were tied to other things. And here, in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive our inheritance. Again, it's scripture almost, when we think of it, we, I think we think of it like as a book, and that's true, it is, right? It's, it's written down for us to read, but it becomes this linear thing. Like the story just goes here, and that, again, it's a helpful way to think about it. But I, when I read Galatians 4, it almost feels like all the words lift up off the page. It's like we took these chairs and just turned them into a circle and put Galatians 4 in the middle. Because all of it says, in the fullness of time, what a fascinating phrase. The fullness of time. There can be no better time than the one set by the Father to send the one who brings us our inheritance. Throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, there is a theme here, right? Jesus came as the firstborn. The firstborn, not the onlyborn. He's a firstborn. He's gone on ahead of us to prepare for us our inheritance. John, the beginning of Gospel of John says, that For those who have believed and received Christ, we have been given the right to become children of God. We go from creation to children, and if children, then heirs and co-heirs with Christ. My goodness, right? All of a sudden, Christmas Eve becomes so much more than, uh, than the season that we've wrapped around it. Born into the world was the promise of an inheritance for us, an inheritance that is freedom from sin, freedom from pain and suffering. They said tears will be no more. From a baby, right? A baby who lived obediently according to the Father, a sinless life, a perfect death, a glorious resurrection. All held within the Luke 2 story, but, but brought to life in Galatians 4. And the language here it moves into, again, verse 4, the fullness of time, and then 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons that we might receive adoption. It was Jesus' birth that secured us a family. 
I think an adoption is such a beautiful uh, a scripture. Adoption is kind of a theological term. Uh, we use it theologically to help us, and it's from scripture, to help us understand the details of what has happened. When the father sent the son, the son did the work that, that secured our adoption. If you just think about what's involved with that. A child, right, without anyone to care for them in a long-term capacity, Another family who owes nothing to this child, this child of someone else, this child who is identified by some other creed, culture, time, uh, circumstance, whatever it may be, this family who owes nothing to that child says, come be a part of mine, right? The love and the compassion, when it's done correctly, right? The love and the compassion for what was essentially a stranger says, come into my home. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing that humans do for each other, and we got it from God, right? God said, I've adopted all of you. For those who have received Christ, you have been adopted. The other piece of this that, that kind of occurred to me this week is, is we have a lot of friends who have adopted the, the posts here sitting up front and others. Um, it, it's no secret that that is wildly expensive, right? It, it costs, it literally costs quite a bit for this to happen. It, it's not just the, the compassion and the love to say, welcome to my home. It is a sacrifice of resources. It's a sacrifice of, of having to, um, if you're bringing them in with other children, all, the, all these things that have to happen for this adoption to be secured, to, to be executed, to bring that child home, and then to raise them and integrate them into your family. And, and we are reminded then of the parallels, right? It's not that Jesus just came and said, all right, come on. Now, Jesus suffered. Jesus bled. Jesus, Jesus died. He cried out in pain on the cross for us. He paid a dear price for our adoption. And now, because he was born in the manger and lived obediently throughout his life, we have this promise. The fullness of time has come. We are, we are arguably still living in the fullness of time. And it is so easy, because I'll probably do it too. We'll leave here this afternoon and forget that we are living in the fullness of time. Find a way to remind yourself. <laughs> we, we, listen, my house is covered in presents. We, we've got the Grinch on 24-7 because it works and they like it and we're into it. There's all the stuff and it's fun, but it's easy for me even to just forget that we are living in, the, in a time in history where Christ has entered. And we're still looking in anticipation for him to come back. That's going to be a glorious day. But as we've kind of alluded to or directly taught up into this Advent season, he has come. He has come and secured our adoption. We are counted as his and we are given his inheritance. And the end of this is beautiful, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, because for those who have received Christ by faith, we are now sons and daughters, he has sent forth the spirit of our son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It is, I, I often, you do what you want. I don't think scripture is super specific about this, but I usually start my prayer with Father. And it's to remind myself, right? You can pray to God, and then you can pray to Jesus. You can pray to Lord. I, I just, for me, I just, for some reason, usually start praying to the Father. In part from this passage, to remind myself that he is, he is my Lord. He is the king of my life. He dictates how I should be living, and he is my Father. 
There, there, it, that's a, for most of us who maybe have grown up around church, you're used to the idea of, of father. But, but right, depending on where you, what you've heard around this, that Abba maybe is a, like more of a daddy, more of a term of endearment. Right? There is a personal connection here. God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer sent his son that we could have a father and son and daughter relationship. All secured by the baby being born into a manger. It's a lot. It's a lot more than uh, than a nativity scene. It's a lot more often than I think we we are able to stop and and really meditate on during a really, really busy season. And 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 it just I want to encourage you now to just soak in that tomorrow morning. Please come back. We're having church. It's Sunday. We're having church. Come back. We'll do it again. We'll take time to meditate on it through the hearing of God's word, through praying to him, through singing songs to him, and being together as scripture calls us to be together as believers. I'm so thankful this room is, is quite full. And, and it's not like that I'm, it's not, I don't know if it's a feeling of pride. It's not that, not personal pride, but just I'm so thankful that this many people thought this was the important thing to do at three o'clock on Christmas Eve. And I pray the same for tomorrow morning. That's not like me trying to guilt you, <clears throat> but if it works, fine. But I'm not trying to. We just, I mean, but we had that discussion, right? We debated of like, well, what, what are we going to do? And, and I've seen some, uh, Kevin DeYoung, who is a, a brilliant theologian, but he has posted some stats recently of how many churches are not having Christmas tomorrow. And look, that's not, I'm not, I just, we, we landed on, we have to. We have to gather, right? What could be more important in terms of a family tradition or something to instill in each other and in our kids, whatever it may be? There is so much ambient noise going on around me right now, and it's cool. It's fine, because we're just here to, to remember the birth of Christ, to rest in the birth of Christ, to worship the risen King, and to be reminded that for those who have received him, we are sons and daughters, and we are uh, future inheritors of his beautiful inheritance. What, what Christ has been promised by the Father has been promised to us, that we will be resurrected, that our bodies will be glorified, that we will spend eternity in the Father's house. What a joyful, beautiful thing to be born into this world on Christmas. What a wonderful, wonderful hope. Robert, if you'll go ahead and, and come on up, we're going to, in the interest of trying to uh, not keep them wriggling too long, I can't believe my kids aren't up here. <coughs> uh, we we want to transition into, um, we're going to do a candlelight service. <coughs> we tried to, we got some glow sticks for the really little kids, so we didn't have an issue. Um, but but be reminded, right, it's easy, it's easy to come to a candlelight service and go, oh, that's a sweet thing to do at Christmas. But it is an intentional and very specific reminder that, that the light was born into the world. And the light chased out the darkness. <laughs> and for those who have received it, <laughs> we have a hope of an inheritance. And if you have not received it, if you just maybe wandered in here because it's Christmas Eve, that's cool. Thank you for coming. But, but if I would, I pray, I, I prayed before a fair warning. I don't know you, but I prayed for you before you came in here that the Spirit would, would move in you, would prompt you, maybe for the first time to that conversation. Right? This is the hope for, for however many of us in this room that are believers. That's why we're here. It's not because it's Christmas Eve. We'd be gathering here to worship regularly, anyways. 
Because 365, every week, we are here to worship and to celebrate Christmas, to worship and to celebrate Easter. It is the birth, death, and burial, and ultimately resurrection of the incarnated King. So let's, um, let's take some time as we transition, and we'll uh, together as a church family worship in this way.